to be in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And we're going to talk about bread from heaven. Bread from heaven. The book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 6. We're just going to start with verse 27, but we're going to actually work our way through most of the chapter, or much of the chapter today. And hopefully you'll be able to be encouraged and challenged a little bit as we look at what Jesus has to say in John chapter 6. We'll be spending our time, most of the time, verse 25 and following, but to start with, we want to start in verse 27. To me, this is the whole key to the chapter. If you can grab a hold of verse 27, then I think you'll know what the Lord is trying to speak to our hearts today. John chapter 6, verse 27. The Word of God says this, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Look at that again. Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And then a verse that's going to fit very well with what we want to do today, something I know you're with. And that's the Beatitudes, and that's in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and the Word of God says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, if you aren't hungry yet, I'm hoping you're going to be hungry here in just a little bit, all right? I'm going to work on that in just a second. First, I want to share a story from Philip Gunther I thought was pretty good. Mike Benson tells how one night as his family was finishing dinner, his eight-year-old daughter left six green beans on her plate. She normally ate her veggies, and Mike did not usually allow this sort of thing to bother him. But that night, he was irked, and so he said to her, eat your green beans. She replied, Dad, I'm full to the top. You won't pop, he responded. Yes, I will pop, she said. Risk it, he said. It'll be okay. Dad, I could not eat another bite. Well, Mike knew that night they were having her favorite dessert, pumpkin pie squares. So he asked, how would you like a double helping of pumpkin pie squares with two dollops of whipped cream on top? That sounds great, she responded as she pushed her plate back, ready for dessert. How can you have room for a double helping of pumpkin pie squares with two dollops of whipped cream and not have room for six measly green beans? She stood up tall out of her chair and pointing to her belly, she said, this is my vegetable stomach and this is my meat stomach. They are both full. Here is my dessert stomach. It is empty. I am ready for dessert. (laughs) What we eat reveals what we hunger for. Amen? Amen? What we eat reveals what we hunger for. I thought this was really good. The Lord kind of put this on my heart today to think about these things. If some of you guys know, um, uh, Michael, back in the fall, he started doing the soul control, soul calm ministry, and he was challenged us. We were kind of learning a little bit about it. And I was trying to get ready for India, so I thought it's a good time to jump in. So the next thing on Wednesday nights, some people saw Michael and I were kind of eating different things, and the boys there for a while, that one night, the, the cinnamon rolls were out on the counter, and Jacob went up to the counter, and he's like, I got to throw these away, because <laughs> the temptation was just eating him alive, right? Well, now I think Rick's been doing, joining in a little bit now, and Todd's been, we were talking a little bit about some things. He's not doing soul control, but still kind of watching things a little bit, 
And so it gets real interesting now around Wednesday nights or breakfast on Sunday mornings about what we're eating or not eating, okay? And what can happen, you guys, when you see this, you're probably going to think, boy, the preacher must be really hungry, all right? Um, when you think about being hungry, when you think about being fed, what comes to your mind? Do you think spiritually ever? Let me give you two things to think about here just for a little bit. Um, let's go with this first one, Diane. This one I thought was pretty good. Little eggs and bacon. Those are or sausage and maybe French toast. Anybody like French toast? Oh boy, that's good stuff, isn't it? Little hash browns on the side. What's next, Diane? How about just some steak and potatoes? Maybe a little asparagus, a little fresh salsa on the side. Some of you are coming in. Some of you are like, ooh, yeah, it looks good to me. What's up next? Oh, that picture's way too small. Is it that small there? Oh, that's big up there. Good. What is that? That is your preacher's greatest temptation right there. I like steak and I love pizza. Go back a second, Diane. I'm not done with this. I got to look at it a little bit more. But a sausage gravy on a homemade biscuit, brother, it don't get much better than that in this life, does it, right? I imagine in heaven there'll be a buffet and it'll be stocked with biscuits and gravy. Amen. All right. Sorry. Go ahead, Diane. Maybe you're into a little BBQ, right? A little on the Barbie. What would you put on there maybe? Or what's next? This is probably the thing I've been craving the most is just pizza. I just miss pizza. That's all I really miss, right? We've been trying cauliflower crust and vegetable toppings, and it's just not the same. I'm not going to lie to you. It's just not the same, okay? One last one here. Uh, for those of you that are kind of a Mexican restaurant fan, and there's a little chicken, I think, on these, but some really good soft tacos with all the toppings. Whew. Anybody that's a little bit hungry yet? Right? And people are like, oh, preacher, you must be, you need to get off this diet thing. It's just killing you, right? Today, what we're going to learn, what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to talk about the, con- the contrast between a spiritual food and an earthly food. So I think I've basically whet your appetite for earthly food, no problem, right? There was probably something on there that you thought, hmm, that might look good. But what I want to challenge you with today is this question. That is, what are you hungry for? Push your mind aside just for a second from the table. It's away from the table. What do you really, really want out of this life? What do you think? Most of us probably want something good for our kids, don't we? Anybody who's a parent today, I know that today. And that never stops, does it? It doesn't matter how old you are. You want the best for your kids, don't you? You're hungry for that. What what are you hungry for in, in the kingdom sense, in God's kingdom. What do you really want to accomplish? You know, are you hungry for peace in your life today? Maybe are you hungry for courage that you seem to lack? Are, are you hungry to see some people that you love to come to Christ? What are you hungry for today? And I'm afraid I'm just being way too transparent this morning. Your preacher is way too often more hungry for things of this world than really looking for treasure for the next. And so I hope today you'll just be patient. Walk with me through God's word here. Jesus is going to do most of the speaking today. And as he talks, let it challenge your heart to really be hungry for the things that matter the most. Okay, let's look together in John chapter 6. And the first thing I want you to see is that many people are hungry, and many Christians, I should say, are hungry for temporary things. Hungry for temporary things. Look down at verse 25. 
John writes, he says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Pay attention to that. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. And they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this. It's so good. Look at that, verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, if you guys look a little bit earlier, you can look at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. This is the place where we have 5,000 men, probably up to 10,000 people, have come to hear Jesus teach. And in the middle of the late afternoon, Jesus quizzes his disciples. He says, go feed these people. <laughs> and they look around and like, uh, Lord, uh, it would take like almost a year's wages to feed this crowd today. Uh, none of us have that kind of dough just in our pocketbook, right? And uh, maybe it's Philip or Andrew. One of them says, oh, we got to find a little boy and he's got these loaves and fishes. Oh, but that's all we got. And what does Jesus do? He blesses it. That's what he does. He blesses the loaves. I think it's five loaves and two fishes. He blesses it. And when they're done handing out the food, what's left over? Twelve baskets full. Okay, we're not going to preach that whole sermon here today, but just a reminder, God loves to do big things with little things. Cross life, hear me today? God loves to do big things with little things. And sometimes we might consider ourselves little, but I think God is doing big things in our hearts, and he will use us to accomplish great things if we'll be submissive. Big things for little things. The next thing is you'll notice that later on in the story, they make reference to Jesus was actually kind of over on another piece of land across the Sea of Galilee. And they're kind of like, well, how did you get here? And he doesn't answer that question right there. But if you read the scriptures, you'll find that is the time where the disciples go on a cross. And as they're going across, the storm rages. And Jesus wasn't in the boat with them initially, but what happens? <laughs> he comes to them walking on the water. So not only do you have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 men here and maybe 10,000 people or more, but you also have the miracle of the walking on the water and then the people come to see Jesus. And do you hear what he said? He says, well, they didn't come for the show. They didn't come to see more miracles. Why were they coming and following Jesus now? Because they had their food to their fill. It wasn't so much about what great thing is he going to do. It wasn't even so much about who is he going to heal. What it was is the last time we were around this guy, we had the best fish and the best bread we've ever had. And we ate all we wanted. Maybe if we follow him, we'll get another free, delicious meal. Never go anywhere for free and delicious meals. Sometimes that's how people entice you into things, right? A lot of the casinos, they give away free meals, right? Sometimes those vacation home things, they give away free meals, don't they, right? Even the pharmaceutical salesman that goes to the hospital, does he ever try to give away free food? Right? The insurance guys that come to your corporation, they usually stock the central office building with all kinds of goodies, right? Because they know that a way to many people's heart <laughs> is their stomach. 
And guys, today what I want to remind you is we need to be careful of always chasing after feeding our flesh. And that's where Jesus is challenging these people here. Now, I love what Jesus has to say. Has to say. The people say, well, okay, if you're kind of going to get on us for being just here for the food, then what must we do to do the works God requires? And again, look in verse 29. This is so powerful. Did Jesus say, go feed the hungry? Did he say, go clothe the poor? Did he say, obey all the Ten Commandments? Are you looking at that verse, right? This is the work that God requires to believe in the one he has sent. Everything else flows from this. It's not about being this some a holy, righteous person on your own behalf. It's not about all the works that you can accomplish or do and point to other people and say, look what a great job I've done. Today, if you are frustrated with yourself and maybe where you're at in your life, this is where you start. And longtime Christian, are you hearing me today? This is where we should go back every day. Believe in the one that God has sent. This is the work. And yet we find ourselves trusting in temporary things way too often. This is from Madeline Lingle. It's a pretty good little quote here. She says, we live under the illusion that if we can acquire complete control, we can understand God. Or we can write the great American novel. But the only way we can brush against the hem of the Lord's garment or hope to be part of the creative process is to have the courage, the faith, to abandon control. For the opposite of sin is faith and never virtue. And we live in a world which believes that self-control can make us virtuous. But that's not how it works. Did you catch that? It's kind of tricky. What she's saying in that quote is the opposite of sin is not virtue. The opposite of sin is not doing good works. The opposite of sin is believing in the one that God has sent. And that requires a giving up of control. It's not so much about how much discipline, how much self-control can I have in my own ability, but it's when I give up my life to the Lord and the Holy Spirit and let him be the power in me and he can help me with the control that I need, then I can do the things that God wants to do. You guys, it's that same unstuck theme over and over and over again. Stop trying harder. Right? It's about surrender. And then when you submit, the Holy Spirit will fill you and then the control that you need will come. But if you do it out of order, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for the glory of the Lord. I don't know about you today, but I hope that we can learn to look past the now, the temporary, to eternity with the help of the Holy Spirit. And what I would say to you today is I want you to look past things that don't last to treasure that does. Do you want to be satisfied? Have you found yourself unsatisfied? Boy, I have it more times than not in my life. The Lord can satisfy. As we pursue Jesus, he can really satisfy. And that's why he's the bread that really matters, not this temporary bread. The next section, let's talk about looking for signs. And again, you'll see the hearts of these people, kind of a challenge for us to not be this way. Look, if you would, in verse 30. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. 
Then Jesus declared, I am, did you catch that? I am the bread of life. There are seven I am statements in John. This is the, one of the big ones here. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 36, but as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. That's a really hard verse there. You have seen me, and still you do not believe. Verse 37, all the Father gives me will come to me. Comes to me, I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I will lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's God's will. Did you see, catch that? You wonder what God's will is? <laughs> There's one of the verses that says it as clear as can be, doesn't it? It's God's will to raise up his children, to rise, raise up their bodies, to be with him forever, to meet the Lord in the air. That's his will. And it says here right in the book of John. Again, now think about it just for a second. Jesus has fed the multitude with nothing, ended up with baskets left over. He has mysteriously crossed the lake without a boat. And now what do these people say? Give us a sign and we'll believe you. <laughs> right? He's already shown himself and they're still asking for a sign. Now, before you're too harsh on these uh, Jewish people here, how many times has God delivered in your life and yet you still seek a sign? Right? Has the Lord ever been good to any of you folks here today? <laughs> Lord, I'll do this, but I need a sign. Oh, come on, man. I can just see the Lord saying, come on, people. How many times have I got to show you that I'm with you, that I've done things for you? And that's exactly what is happening here. And you'll notice these people are still hung up on the food idea, aren't they? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll never be hungry. If you believe, you'll never be thirsty. And so what do the people say? Give us some of that bread. That sounds great. <laughs> They're still looking for something physical and temporary instead of seeing the treasure that is before them. Uh, he questions their identity as in Moses' miracle. And they're saying, well, Moses' miracle lasted 40 years. Yours just lasted a few days. Do you expect us to leave Moses' teaching to follow yours? And Jesus reminds the people that God gave the bread, not Moses. Look at this from John Powell. It's a good quote here. Most of us in our desire for meaningful faith seem to be saying to God, show me and I'll believe, right? That sounds like Missouri, doesn't it? Show me. Then I will believe. Sounds like Doubting Thomas too, doesn't it? This approach never works. God has made it very clear to us in the life and teaching of his son Jesus that the process needs to be reversed. He is saying to us, believe in me and I'll show you, right? Take the step of faith. Peter, get out of the boat. I think the Lord's speaking this morning about this to somebody here. Are you hearing that today? Quit asking the Lord to show me and then you'll step and do something. No, no, no. You go ahead and step and then watch what the Lord will do. All right. That takes some serious discernment. You better be in the spirit. You better be around godly people. You better be in prayer to know when and where to step because it's kind of dangerous getting out of the boat, isn't it? Right. None of us can walk on water in our own power. But the Lord wants us in faith to step out and then he will show us. Today, listen to the, the Lord there. Mind the Lord there. Jesus again points his people to eternity, and he reminds them that he is the bread of life. Again, he uses that I am 
statement. Uh, maybe one of these days we'll actually walk through John and do the different I am statements. But today, what that brings about in those people's mind when he says that is God himself, when he spoke to Moses, what did he name himself? Moses, tell them, I am has sent you. And Jesus is using that same phraseology about himself. Now, later on, some people try to stone him, right? Because they get it. He's saying he is equal with God, and he is saying that. And even here, as he says, I am the bread, he is saying that. He does give that wonderful promise. If we will come to him, we won't go hungry or thirsty. And so my challenge to you this morning is very simple. Do you want to be truly satisfied? I'm going to be honest with you. Biscuits and gravy is good. But a few days later, I'm still hungry, right? Whatever your favorite meal is today, whatever your favorite fleshly activity is, it may feel good for a little while, but a few days later or a week later, what? You're still wanting more, aren't you, right? But if you really, really want peace, it begins and ends with Jesus. And that's where we need to spend our time. He's the only thing that's really going to fill, that's really going to satisfy. Now, the sad part here for me today, I have a really hard time with this. For most of the people that Jesus is speaking to in this passage, they would not believe. Are you hearing with me today? This is, this is challenging to me. Some of the people that ate the bread and ate the fish that turned into 12 baskets, they would still not believe in Jesus. Some of the people that they didn't see it, but they knew that Jesus had crossed from this piece of land over the lake to this piece of land, and they don't know how he did it. They still wouldn't believe in Jesus. As you bear with me today, Judas spent three years with the Lord. He saw the water turn to wine. He saw the deaf being able to hear. He saw the blind being able to see. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. And even he did not believe with faith in Jesus. Uh, kind of a slight encouragement to you today. This is a reminder that everybody that you share the gospel with or witness to, are they all going to come to Christ? No, because it's not up to us, right? It's between them and the Lord. But what's challenging my heart today is this truth, that there are people that will not believe even when they have all this evidence in front of them. Just a real quick scripture, Matthew chapter 7. Again, the words of the Lord, not my words today. Matthew seven thirteen, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And look at that last phrase. And many enter through it. All right. There are few that will find the narrow road and there are many going down the path of destruction. And unfortunately, that is the truth, another truth of the gospel, right? All the more urgency for us to love and pray for the people that we think don't know Christ and for us to live a life that really matters for eternity, okay? Uh, Jesus begins to explain his mission, and at the end, he so clearly says it's God's will that if people will look to the Son and believe, they will have eternal life, and God, through Jesus, will raise them up. And so here's my next challenge for you this morning. Is eternity your priority? Is eternity a priority for you? What is important to you today? Right? Well, I got to get lunch taken care of. Got to take care of the dog. Right? I, got, I need to do some dishes when I get home. <laughs> Thinking of my priority list, right? I got a few couple things still to get done for India, maybe a thing or two for the state meeting. 
I'll try to get the recording up on the website. Right? Um, what I need to be thinking of is how are the things that I'm going to be doing going to matter for eternity, right? Some of those things are going to matter, right? Can you bear with me for a second, right? If I don't take care of my house and take care of my family and I don't take care of this body, I'm probably not going to be able to do much for eternity, am I? So it is important to do those things, isn't it, right? If I don't take care of my bills, then that's going to really hurt my reputation with other people that I might want to share the gospel with, right? Right? So I do need to take care of those things. If I don't get the rest that I need, I'm not going to be able to go and serve at the jail tomorrow night. You follow what I'm saying? So I'm not telling you anything that's physical is bad. There's a lot of physical things that we do that because we're able to do those things well, it helps us to do things that matter for eternity. Are you tracking with me now? Okay. A very physical thing for me to get a message and throw it up online, but if somebody else hears that message and it contains the truth of the gospel, it could matter for eternity. Uh, you just praying for a coworker today or tomorrow, right? Or a neighbor or your children. That can matter for eternity. Are you here tracking with me this morning? Okay. So don't just think physical versus spiritual. Think about what's going to matter for eternity and what maybe doesn't matter so much, right? And try to do the things that, that are important. Here's what's challenging. We're going to see that they're still not satisfied. Look down at verse 41 of John chapter 6. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, again, notice they caught it, I am the bread that came down from heaven. <laughs> Look what here they say, verse 42. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. If you don't have that highlighted right there, verse 47. He who believes has everlasting life. Sounds just like John 3, 16, doesn't it? I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they die. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh, his flesh, to eat? Again, these Jews, they still, many of them don't want to believe. They've seen the miracles. That's not enough. And then they start to bring this up. Wait a minute. We know this guy. This is Joseph and Mary's boy, right? Do you ever underestimate people because you know their background? Oh, that guy's from Decatur. He can't be much, right? Oh, those people, they're hillbillies from Kentucky. Somebody used the word hillbilly yesterday. I was really proud of Todd. He really owned it. I'm a hillbilly. What's the problem with that, Right? Yeah, sometimes we think and look at people because we classify them as a certain category, don't we? And then we underestimate their ability because we've already stereotyped them. That happened to Jesus too, by the way. Right? Oh, this is Joseph. So we know him. He can't. What are you talking about? And again, this, the Lord makes this incredible statement. And as a free will Baptist, I definitely want you to hear this today. No man, no person comes to the Father unless he is drawn by God. I believe that, all right? 
Some people, when we talk about free will, they say, well, it's all your choice. You can come whenever you want. No, 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 no. Look at the Word of God here. God has to draw. God has to pull. God has to convict. God's Spirit has to move. And what that tells me is that there are times, there are seasons where God does those things, and there are seasons when He withdraws. We do not want to miss the call of God. Now, your preacher believes, according to the Scriptures, that everyone gets that call, all right? At some time in their life, the Lord died for the whole world. He has a propitiation and atoning sacrifice for the whole world, okay? But what I'm telling you is it's not just, well, when I feel like it. Maybe when I'm 60, then I will accept the Lord. Maybe when I'm 80, before I die, I'll get things right. You don't have the choice. You've got to be drawn by the Lord. You don't pick the time of your redemption. So bear with me this morning just a little bit to make you think as well. Tomorrow may be the last day that our friend or our loved one is drawn of God. It may not be the last day of their life, but it may be the last time God draws them. May it not be, right? May it not be that way. But then that puts an urgency on us to definitely live and breathe with the Holy Spirit so we know when to really push on people with the gospel. In order to have eternity, people must trust him. Look here briefly at these, these quick bullets. Jesus shares these things very clearly. First off, only Jesus has seen God. And can I say this again? People don't like to think of Christianity as an exclusive religion, but it is. And it's not, again, it's not a bunch of preachers or seminarians' ideas. It is the words of the Lord. Only Jesus, only, exclusive, only Jesus has seen God. Whoever believes will have everlasting life, but some will not believe. We've seen that today, right? Jesus is the bread of life. To really be satisfied, it's not going to come through Buddha. It's not going to come through Muhammad and his teaching. Only Jesus is the bread. It's exclusive. That's what the Word of God says. Jesus, as the bread, sustains life. Not the temporary kind, but the eternal kind. And here's the thing. His flesh is a necessary... And does that bother you this morning? (laughs) This is pretty crazy. Jesus says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And this sounds like a vampire movie or something, doesn't it? It's like, what are you talking about, right? And what you'll find is that in early church history, some of the Romans accused the Christians of being cannibals. And why did they get that, that idea in their mind? Because they were teaching this teaching that you need the flesh of Jesus and you need the blood of Jesus to have life. Now, let's walk through that just a little bit today, and I think I can hopefully make it clear for you this morning. Look down at verse 53, and we'll start with what Jesus says about himself. This is the hard saying. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink, or true food, true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate the manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while teaching in the synagogue there in Capernaum. I mean, just think of that picture, you know, there in the synagogue. I'm sure those people, there was a lot of people there. Iyer was really standing up, right? <laughs> what in the world is this man doing? Jesus gives his hard saying to the Jewish people. They must eat his flesh and drink his blood. 
And he says, whoever does so will have life and be raised up the last day. Whoever does this will remain in Christ and vice versa. And just as Jesus lives from the Father, those who believe in Christ will find life in him. And this bread provides life eternal, not like the manna, but eternal life. What's the Lord talking about here? Remember Isaiah 53, right? What was prophesied about the coming Christ? Jesus' body was broken for you. Remember what we say? Um, Diane, you can pull this up if you want to. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. You guys, this is usually what I read every time we have communion right here, right? Look at this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took bread, right? And when he had given thanks, just like he did over the fishes and the loaves, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And what did he say? This bread, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He didn't stop there either, did he, right? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Right? We have it now for us. We don't like this morning that big picture of a loaf, but what we have is the unleavened little squares of bread, right? And we have a little cup of juice. This is why communion should be a very serious time. It's not a time to joke around. When we take communion together, what we're reminding ourselves as a Christian is that we are in faith accepting Jesus' body that was broken so that we could be redeemed. When we drink that juice, we're saying that we are accepting Jesus' blood that washes our sins away and makes us white as snow. And here's the powerful truth today. If you will not believe in the broken body and in the shed blood of Jesus for the remission of your sins, you are facing a destiny without Christ and without God. That's not penology. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, that person will be raised up at the last day to eternal life. That's the promise. Everybody tracking with that? To eat the flesh of Jesus, to drink the blood of Jesus, is to believe in what he did and recognize that it's his work that redeems us, not our own virtuousness, not our own righteousness, not our own ability It's to confess that we are sinners and we need the work that he did to make redemption and reconciliation with the Father. Today, think about that with me. Are you really more focused on that bread than you are on the daily bread that we talk about so often? Let me give you one long illustration and we'll finish up today. But again, I want you to think about, am I making eternity a priority? Am I doing things that will matter for eternity. This is from David uh, Holdway. It says, after six years given to the impartial investigation of Christianity as to its truth or falsity, I have come to the deliberate conclusion that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of the Jews, the Savior of the world, and my personal Savior. The words of Lou Wallace, a governor of New Mexico over a century ago. He had started out to write a book against Jesus Christ, and in the process, he was converted to Christianity. And he told a friend how it happened. I had always been an agnostic and denied Christianity. Robert Ingersoll, a famous agnostic, was one of my most intimate friends. He once suggested, see here, Wallace, you are a learned man and a thinker. 
why don't you gather material and write a book to prove the falsity concerning Jesus Christ that no such man has ever lived, much less the author of the teachings found in the New Testament. Such a book would make you famous. It would be a masterpiece and a way of putting an end to the foolishness about this so-called Christ. Well, the thought made a deep impression on me, and we discussed the possibility of such a book. I went to Indianapolis, interesting, huh? my home, and told my wife what I intended. She was a member of the Methodist Church, and naturally she did not like my plan. But I decided to do it and began to collect material in libraries here and in the old world. I gathered everything over that period in which Jesus Christ, according to legend, should have lived. Several years were spent in this work. I had written nearly four chapters when it became clear to me that Jesus Christ was just as real a personality as Socrates or Plato or even Caesar. The conviction became a certainty. I knew that Jesus Christ had lived because of the facts connected with the period in which he had lived. I was in an uncomfortable position. I had begun to write a book to prove that Jesus Christ had never lived on earth, and now I was face to face with the fact that he was just as historic a personage as Caesar or Mark Anthony or even Dante and a host of other men who had lived in the olden days. And so I asked myself candidly, If he was a real person, and I had no doubt, could he not also then be the Son of God and the Savior of the world? Gradually, the consciousness grew that since Jesus Christ was a real person, he probably was the one he claimed to be. And I fell on my knees to pray for the first time in my life, and I asked God to reveal himself to me, to forgive my sins, and to help me to become a follower of Christ. Towards morning, the light broke into my soul, and I went into my bedroom. I woke my wife, and I told her that I had received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. This is great. Oh, Lou, she said, I have prayed for this ever since you told me of your purpose to write this book, that you would find him while you wrote it. Lou Wallace did write a very famous book, by the way. It was a masterpiece and the crowning glory of his life's work. He changed the book he was originally writing and used all his research to write another book. Now, every time I watch the epic film made from that book and see Charlton Heston racing those four magnificent white horses in that amazing chariot race, I wonder how many who have seen Ben-Hur with its moving references to Jesus know it was written by a man who wanted to Jesus ever existed and instead be convinced that he was the greatest man who ever lived. He is the bread of life, the only thing that satisfies. Let's stand this morning. And again, I just want you to turn your hearts today towards eternity. And maybe today part of that is, Lord, forgive me, and you need to pray a prayer of repentance where your heart is on fleshly, temporary things. But maybe more than that today, your heart is in the right place, and you need to pray, Lord, I need some direction. I need to be able to step with your spirit this week so that I know who to speak to and who to witness to and how to serve them and how to love them, that they would become part of your kingdom, that they would be part of those people who are raised up on that last day. So let's take a little time this morning and I'll play and let's pray together that God would really work in our hearts, that we would find the most satisfying sustenance in the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ.